Blog Talk Radio. some coffee? <laughs> I, it's literally in my hand. <laughs> I don't think I can function without it. Yeah, that's not, uh, my morning. I, I don't drink a lot of coffee, but I always drink coffee in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll actually, I'll drink it all day. <laughs> right up till bedtime, sadly. Oh, that's like my dad. He used to do that. <laughs> he was a coffee <laughs> coffee hound. I mean... All day, even in the hottest, it could be a hundred and ten, and he would be drinking coffee. I never understood that. <laughs> yeah, same here. <laughs> I, I always, it's actually, I don't venture out too much just because I I work from home and I have so much work. But I make myself get out of the house a little bit every day, and it's usually to go run to Starbucks. And they'll always be like, "And do you want that hot or cold?" And it's just always hot. Doesn't matter how hot it is out. <laughs> and <it gets> <laughs> Yeah, I have a good friend who's like that, too. I've known her since we were both teenagers, and it's like, she still drinks coffee hot, no matter what the weather. And she and my dad got along really well, because the rest of us are drinking icy cold drinks in the summer when it's really hot, like in August in California. And my dad and my friend would be drinking hot coffee and have it keep coming. I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> My kind of people. <laughs> um, so how have you been surviving um, what we've all gone through um, and seems to be continuing um, with the horrible stuff about COVID and lockdown and all that horrible stuff? Uh, pretty, I, I, I know this probably sounds really insensitive to say, but really well. <laughs> okay. I feel like built for this that I my work life is so solitary anyways and I work from home and I feel like I don't get out that much and pretty much this is the case with every illustrator that this lockdown this is like this is just like a trial run for me I could go I, I typically go weeks without getting out anyway so it, this has all been pretty easy and weirdly I feel like now it's putting everybody else kind of into my typical mode and they're expecting less, and so I feel like I'm somehow not missing out on everything that I was missing out on. That's an interesting point of view. <laughs> it's a little different, I, huh? 
honestly, I really like it. I, I'll even go so far as to say I think when, when the lockdown first, at least here, I'm in North Carolina, when they first got serious and they just shut down the state for like a month, I think that month might have been like one of the calmest, most cathartic and healthiest months of my life. <laughs> Nobody expected anything from, from anyone and all I had to worry about was my painting, my lawn, my kids, and like, I feel like that was it, and eating, <laughs> like cooking a meal. Somehow it was like, oh, this is the normal pace I feel like things should be at. And, uh, and I got more sun and exercise probably than I, I did all the previous year in just a month's time. So I weirdly, I think we should, like, I sometimes fantasize by, like, making that sort of lockdown a, an annual thing for just a week. Shut everything down and let everybody spend time with their family and kids and no work and just, like, get back to what you're supposed to be doing somehow. <laughs> I think that the pace of life in modern society is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, we put so much on ourselves all the time, all these things that really are not life <laughs> somehow. Well, it's it's weird. It's like a two-edged sword. Um, social media has, like, it's gone crazy and, 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 and very nasty. And yet it's also been our saving grace during the year because so, we can be connecting with people that otherwise as we wouldn't be connecting with anybody. So it's like this incredibly, it maybe it's going to teach us how to balance, you know? Yeah, and I think it's also, you know, I'm speaking of this from a privileged perspective because I don't, I'm, I didn't lose my job because of COVID, so I was still at home, and I have a family at home with me, and so my kids who now aren't in school, it's like having my kids 24 hours a day for a month, it was I got so much good quality time uh, with them, but that's that's not the case for everybody. Not everybody has their family with them or still around, and lots of people lost their jobs. I know. So, uh, but for me, it was actually I, I I'm always stressed out about stuff, and somehow that month was just calm <laughs> and relaxing and really good. Just hung out with my kids the whole time. <laughs> well, that it's also people's priorities. Your priorities, your family. Yeah, that that's also yeah. why it was calming and stuff because you were with your your kids. Yeah, I feel like as into my work as I am, I feel like I'm often giving that priority instead of other things that I should be giving priority. So. Maybe yeah, maybe that's why because you got you, you said okay, I can still do my work, but now I have time to be with my kids, and that's much more important. Now that it's all coming to an end, I sadly feel like now I'm going to miss out because I'm still locked up in the house for another year <laughs> working on this project and everybody's going to be out doing all the things they were missing out on. It's like, no, I want you to share in my misery. <laughs> Hang at home just a little longer. <laughs> well, also, I mean, the other side of the sword is that the kids are missing so much. You know, the, the fun things, like... Um, going to a baseball game or or going uh, the older children are dating for the first time or going to a dance or going to a movie yeah. with your friends you know simple things um, for and, and some of these kids it would be their first time doing any of these things and they're not getting to do it 
dating in particular. I can't imagine people trying to to date like the single crowd right now. That you know, it's like you said, like social media is this double-edged sword. It's nice that it allows us to interact, but it's still not this replacement for for tactile face-to-face interaction. We you need know? that you too, as people. We need that tactile. Yeah. You know. Some more than. Yeah. What were we gonna say? I'm sorry. Some more than others, I think. Yeah, but I think humans need to be with humans. And I don't mean in the... I mean just, you know, meeting for lunch or go to a movie. Simple things, you know? Yeah. Or meeting for a cup of coffee. I used Before this all happened, uh, I, I work at home. Several of my friends are writers, and they work at home. We would meet once a week at a Starbucks and have coffee and just chat. We haven't been able to do that. I mean, the we, the Starbucks near us isn't an outdoor Starbucks, so we haven't been able to do that. <laughs> uh, I've actually been fortunate that I still try to do that. That I live in a, it's the area I live in, Greensboro, North Carolina, is not very dense in population. So COVID fortunately never got really bad. And even though they shut stuff down for a while, people were still out and about just wearing their masks. And so... We'd still try to get out and get some sun, get coffee, and just keep our masks on. We'd all sit really far apart. Uh, and I think maybe even the deliberateness of having to do that for people has, has gotten me doing that more than I used to, in fact. I, I, might, I, I might be getting out more than tip, is typical <laughs> right now. Well, that's good. I mean, it actually kind of forced you to be more healthy. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. It's, I'm having to just make concerted efforts towards it now. Well, I mean, I think we should hold the good stuff and continue the good stuff as we can and, you know, and not do the bad stuff. (laughs) One of the points of being on the planet is to learn. And I, I find it kind of sad that people don't learn. They just go for the negative all the time. And or the nasty, and instead they should go for the positive and the good, and see what we're more like than what we're different. I mean, that's my sadness about this period. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I know. That's in mentioning social media. I mean, I've been taking a step back from social media, especially in this past year. Um, yeah. It just it feels nasty. Nobody feels welcoming to me quite the same way, or I don't know, maybe it is. And it, it's not just people not learning. People don't want to learn half the time. They just want a sounding board. They just want to hear themselves or hear reassurance or something. And uh, yeah, and I feel like every time I go online, I, I, I took a break from, from Facebook for a while uh, just to work on a project, and, and I needed to detox anyways. And it's all this infighting on there, and, I, and I, I feel like I check Facebook, and I keep up with my friends, and I feel like it's important to see these things and read these things, and I didn't go on for, like, two or three weeks, and then I went back on, and it was like, oh, nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. They're all still arguing. <laughs> and it's the same stuff. <laughs> What's the point of this conversation? <laughs> you guys are still just at each other. <laughs> um, I know, I know. Isn't it sad? And it's like you said, they I don't think, want to learn. Yeah. 
I and I do I do think it's sad. And I wonder is this a sign of me getting old that I'm like, oh, this generation, or is it really people are getting worse about things? I don't know. I don't know if my perspective's changing or society's changing, but it does not seem to be going well. <laughs> I know, and it's not just. I mean, people like to point to the U.S. and the U.S. does have major problems, but everywhere and everywhere, all the countries. It's just, it's just, and I mean all the countries. It's just, they they seem to all be going on this negative path. It's worse than ever. And I just, I don't understand. (laughs) Maybe that interaction thing you mentioned, that that not having tactile interaction, it makes it really easy to not be empathetic. If you're having a face-to-face conversation with somebody and you see the way your words are affecting them or you see the way things are affecting people in real life, that's a lot different than just reading about stuff on Facebook and being like, well, in my opinion, (laughs) you know? And also, it's changed a lot because I remember um, I was in a play and my dad uh, picked me up one day um, from rehearsal and one of the people in the play with us uh, was a different political party than my dad. And we were really early because rabbinowitzes are always early um, in my family. Okay. <laughs> it's at least 20 minutes. And we still are. We keep the tradition up. Um, and so this gentleman was, uh, who was a really nice man. He just had a completely different political view. He and my dad were having a chat, and they were talking about politics. And they were talking... They it was actually they were having fun and they were talking about their different points of view but even though they were saying about how this and that and there was not one nasty word there was nothing accusatory toward the other person as a person no neither of them took anything personally they were just discussing it and afterwards, they just laughed and hit each other manly on the shoulder, you know, that manly thing. And 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 I said, well, I have to go to rehearsal. <laughs> and, and the other guy, oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I kissed my father, and that was it. But what I'm just saying is, and this wasn't that long ago. I was in my, I think I was in my 30s when I did this play, so it wasn't that long ago. But... It used to be you could talk about religion and politics and and art and and things that people get all high and mighty about without making it a personal. If you don't believe what I believe, <laughs> yeah, I I know I have a hard time fathoming when it's all just opinion. You know, nobody's nobody actually knows how to fix the economy, even an economist. It's all still an opinion. And quite honestly, I've never put that much value on anyone's opinion, not even my own. My, my opinion's worth nothing. Exactly. It probably change in a few days. And so quite frankly, if I don't care about mine, I probably don't care that much about your opinion. I'll listen and I'll take what I can, but I'm not going to like change my point of view on who you are as a human. Exactly. All this work. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yes, I. That's exactly where I come from too. I just, you know, it's like humans are storytellers, and I, I try to explain this, but sometimes people don't understand. We create 
a lot of the stuff that we argue about, it's not really real. <laughs> it's very true. I think that's maybe what I was getting back to when I was saying, like, these things that we think are real life. And, and no, the real life for, for me in that month was my land, my food, my kids. That, that That's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are the things I actually need. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Your family, your home, uh, making sure that you have a, you know, a way of making a living, a roof over your head. That stuff's real. But philosophies, all the other stuff people argue about, that's not. We make it all up. Humans have done that since they sat around the fire in Stone Age making stone tools. We've always done it. It's just that we take them a lot more seriously now than they did back then. <laughs> I know. I was <laughs> I was thinking about it. This sounds, God, this sounds horrible to say, but <laughs> during that month <laughs> when everybody was kind of locked up, and I was so reliant on the Internet for access to information, for access to anything, and I thought, man, if the Internet went out right now, and everybody's afraid to even go to their neighbor's house because we're all quarantining, you could invade this country and nobody would have a clue. (laughs) Or there could be a natural disaster and nobody would have a clue. And I started to think, if this society really, truly, truly just crumbled, what are the odds that we would build it up back to this same weird way? (laughs) Because it really is absurd when you look at it objectively, all the stuff we do and run around all day like like hectic and crazed that eh, I sometimes wonder if if we started all fresh with no preconceived notion how different things might be. Yeah, I agree. And the thing is is that everybody wants to be right. And everybody, it's like I tried another thing I tried. Things that people take as absolute fact, like um, science, Science is fact. What they everything is experimented and proved and everything. But there are facts in science and theories in science. And every scientist will say any theory every fact in science is not breakable, but every theory in science can be breakable. Like fact. We have COVID. That's a real thing. Theory. That the uh what what they're going to find on Mars with our new explorer, that's all theory. We don't know what it's going to find. You know what I mean? But everybody wants everybody else to believe. Hopes to be proven wrong. They want that theory, that hypothesis to be proven wrong because it means now you have more facts and you're closer to an accurate hypothesis that uh, people don't seem, it's that that teaching and learning thing again. People don't want to be wrong, but it's it's good. Get well, you closer. We want, and, and that's another thing. I love astronomers. They love being wrong. They yeah. get excited about having a theory blown to pieces because they are learning all kinds of stuff by that theory being blown up. It's 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 exciting to them. They get happy. I mean, yeah. I think we should learn from that. I think we should be like that. <laughs> And and I think maybe our group, like you being a writer and me being an artist, both storytellers at that, um, I think maybe we're a little more welcome to that because the idea of fantasy and, and being proven wrong or, or 
thinking outside of the box is a little bit more normal for us. Yep. You know? I saw this really great interview with the late, great Ray Bradbury. He was on the Johnny Carson show. They were, they, if, I don't know, Johnny Carson used to do the Tonight Show, and he was really amazing. He was a great interviewer and very funny. Anyway, um, Johnny was asking really great questions uh, about space and Mars and all the theories and stuff like that. And he asked him, what do you think about there being Martians? And what do you think about them monitoring us if there are? I mean, this was back in the 90s. And Ray said the best answer ever. He says, I'm really open. I'm, whatever happens is great. I thought, isn't that beautiful? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is nice. I mean, he's just, no, he goes, you have to be open. He goes, if you're not open, then you're not going to see the great stuff that's out there. And I went, God, I miss you. <laughs> yeah. Man, actually, just you mentioning him kind of makes me miss seeing him talk. I remember just watching the intro to, like, Ray Bradbury Presents. Like, what it, it was, like, one of my favorite parts was seeing him in his, in his library talking. <laughs> he, was, he was such a great man. I met him three times. Once was at my college, the first time. And, and that was really cool. When he was on Johnny Carson, he was talking about introducing the Martian Chronicles play and going to all the colleges. And my college the next year was one of the colleges he was talking about. I was so excited. I know, I was there. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. Yeah, he was really a nice man. That wasn't the play you were in that you were mentioning earlier, was it? Oh, no, no, no. No, this was professionals. I was still a kid. I was I was in my first year of college. <laughs> but oh god, I, yeah, he did Martian Chronicle play, and then they were they were actually developing the miniseries at that time too with Rock Hudson and everything. So it was like I'm like mm, I've seen that too. <laughs> I geeked out you, over uh, it. Have you always been into to drama and acting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, even when I was a little girl, I used to... Oh, this is going to sound so weird, Dan. When I walked home from school, I would tell myself stories in my head that's based on the TV shows I liked. Oh, that's funny. I, <laughs> Just to keep me company as I walk by myself. <laughs> I think about those drives in, in artists a lot, and I think... Illustrators are a weird, and I consider myself an illustrator more. If somebody asks me what I do, I'm usually like, ah, I'm just, I usually try not to say I'm an artist because then it gets all weird and frou foo, and I have to listen to them like talk about how their granddaughter's an artist. It's like, and so I usually say I'm a commercial illustrator, which sounds boring to them, and then the conversation ends nice and quick. <laughs> but being an illustrator is so much about telling a story, mm -hmm. and, and the same thing with writing, and the same thing with acting, that it's always done for an audience. It's not done for me. I'm not making these paintings for myself to enjoy. I'm making them for somebody else to enjoy, which is not the case with all arts. But uh, I think there is like this underlying drive in a lot of creative people that it's, it's this performance or this giving to somebody else to tell that story for somebody else's benefit. It doesn't surprise me that, that you're intacting. <laughs> Well, thank you. Um, I know. I, I agree, though. I I think not all, 
because there are some people that don't fit in there, but most artists, whatever kind of art they do, are very giving people. Yeah. yeah I maybe, do. I mean, what good is a painting if nobody ever gets to see it? Exactly. I mean, not, you know, there's ego involved. Uh, they want to be patted on the back or given a little applause or <laughs> kudos or whatever. Um, but but it's also, um, they want people to enjoy it. They want people to, it, 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 whatever way, like your illustrations, whatever way the pers- it hits the person, I'm sure you want it to hit them an emotional level somewhere within them. Am I wrong? Uh, it depends on the piece sometimes, um, but I always want it to have an impact, whether that impact is emotional or not. I, I definitely want it to, to strike a chord with them in some way. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's my, that's my job, is to catch their attention firstly and then make them inquisitive about something. What, uh, it's going to be a standard question, what started you as an illustrator? Were you always into art? Uh, I think I was always into to art. The earliest time I can remember being into art is, is my sister liked, we would just color, basically. My sister was a pretty good drawer. She was a little older than me. And so I just kind of wanted to do what she did. And because she was older and better at it than me, it made me want to be better. Like, I wanted to color as well as she did. So I think maybe a lot of it was just kind of this young... You know, I think children kind of gravitate towards things they were facile at. And I was good with my eyes, good with my hands, and I could color in the lines. And so I started getting rewarded for that, you know, whether it be my parents' sort of, like, approval or my sister's approval. And then that sort of kept developing and developing and, and found that that's my strength and that's my passion. But I'd say I didn't... I probably got pretty serious about... By the time I was, like seven or eight, if you asked me what I was going to be, I would I would say I was going to be an artist when I grew up. That's kind of cool, though, that, that that's a really young age. Yeah, I, and you know, I think maybe everybody in my field would probably say the same thing, that I don't think they ever, yeah, there's there's exceptions, but most, most people in my field, it's like, that's the one thing they wanted to do, there was no doubt. Uh, Partly because I don't think you succeed at this unless you've really devoted a lot of your life to being really good at this because there's just so much competition that it's not one of those things you're going to pick up late in life on a whim, you know, and really flourish at it. That's but true. then as far as illustration goes more specifically, it wasn't until high school that I really figured out what illustration, commercial illustration was. And I was like, oh, that's the kind of art I really want to do. Um, we're getting close to the end of the show, so I wanted to... Do you have a project? I know you've got a lot of stuff you can talk about, but do you have a project that you can talk about that you're working on? Um, and and we're, we're okay on time. I have a little flex. Once I let them know I'm late, it's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I'm working on a large project right now that's going to take me a couple years to do that I, I can't talk about too much, but it really is... It's cons- me. There is, I am doing nothing else. I'm squeezing in just a couple of covers here and there that are for series that, I, that I've been working on for ages, and I don't want to leave them in the middle. So uh, my Patricia Briggs series, Brandon Sanderson and stuff, uh, I've made time for those this year. But aside from that, it really is this 
one project, which is unusual for me because typically I'm painting something different every two weeks, um, which is nice. It's, it gives my brain a reset and I get a new problem to solve. And working on this one project for two years, I've never, a lot of artists that are, you know, book illustrators, like interior books or children's books, do that quite often. I've never actually done that. And it's a totally different way of thinking. This, you know, it's probably much more akin to writing a novel, that it's this planning out, you know, for years, this one piece that you're working on. Uh, so it's been nice. It's been challenging, good. Aside from that, not, not too much else is new, work-wise, anyway. I understand. I, I think it's interesting how uh, you can be really passionate about stuff. I, I have um, I have a I have two books I'm working on and a third one that is in the works. So I understand. But my focus you juggle, Huh? You juggle your, your writing between books? You do you work on multiple at once? Yeah. I get bored. <laughs> it's the way I can keep all the books fresh, just like popping back and forth. Well, they're in different positions. Like one book, I have a YA book that is about to come out that I'm still fiddling with because I, I'm a perfectionist. And the last one I wasn't too pleased with, so this one I'm working really hard on to make it really the way I want it. And then, so that one's in the editing and structure of the cover and all that stuff, that stage. And then I have another book that is a murder mystery that is, um, I'm still writing it. So it's in the writing stage. And then there's another book, which is a thriller that I'm um, still in the note stage. So they're all in different, you know, I, it's not like I'm, uh, they're not all simultaneously. It's just that I kind of like, if I, I, I get stuck, I go to the other book. <laughs> I, I cannot do that. I can't split my focus. <laughs> and it's also like a weird work scheduling thing. If I take on, if I juggle jobs, they'll all be late. So I just do one, get it done, move on. But mostly it's just the way my brain, I'll upset about something and I need it to be done before I can move on to the next thing so it's just one painting at a time I never juggle paintings I've just never had that ability it's just like I'd but, it's, it too, but. but it's weird Dan because I do that with reading too <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I can read three or four books at the same time oh man no, not, <laughs> I guess in, in, I do the same with things I'm viewing or reading as well like I won't binge more than one show. It's just one show. I can only focus on one TV show for a month, and then when that show is done, I'll look, I'll watch another one. But <laughs> I, I, uh, so. I think it's like, like you said, I think it's the way your mind is. My mind's a natural mm -hmm. juggler, and your mind's very focused. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> or pigeonholed, however <laughs> you want to look at it. Well, I'm trying to be nice, Dan. I don't want you to be pigeonholed. <laughs> I think we do. It's it's a little bit like we were talking with, with just life in general. I think everybody has this different way their brain functions. And I often think of people who are taking medication to, like, cope with just day-to-day -day life. And it's like, I don't think necessarily your brain isn't functioning right. I think it's just this world isn't built for the way your brain functions. Exactly. And, uh, and I've been really fortunate that I have a job that, you know, it plays well to my OCDs, and it's like it lets me 
it lets me do the things that my brain wants to do that I'm good at doing, <laughs> and I can do it on my own terms. Well, I kind of am like you. It, I think it depends on what it is, because, like, I'm like you on TV shows. Like, right now I'm obsessed with a show called Frankie Drake Mysteries. I'm, it's been on for four years, but I'm just coming to it, so I've only seen the first two seasons, and I love it. And I'm so I, 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 my brother, for my birthday, got me the third season, so I actually watched the entire DVD in, like, maybe 48 hours. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a good weekend <laughs> yeah um, but yeah so I, I do I get really focused on uh, and before that was Miss Fisher murder mystery I love mysteries um, so I yeah I get obsessed too but but for my writing I'm I'm much I think it's I don't know if it's well like I said I get if I get it's when I get stuck that is my way to deal with um, block is just to move to the other one of the other two projects I'm working on. That makes sense. Yeah. We were speaking earlier a little bit about daily routines, and and I find there's also you know my brain goes through its cycles, and that there's some parts of the day where I can do menial physical labor that doesn't require my brain very well, and other parts of my body is tired and my brain is going, and so I might juggle my day-to-day tasks, like I might do my invoicing in the morning or in my painting in the evening or whatever, uh, but as far as single images, yeah, I don't I don't juggle those too much, but I definitely find, it, it might be, I'm thinking this, because it might be that, yeah, you know, like one part of your day might be really good for ideas and the other is just about executing the ideas that you came up with previously. Yeah, that's true. And I also have, uh, I do, I write radio plays and I also produce them, so I have that too. (laughs) Radio plays, great. I love, I've been listening to, I do a lot of audio books while I work because it's, I can't look at anything while I work, but I can listen and, and Audible has been doing these series of kind of full cast reenactment they're basically radio plays of classic stories and stuff and it's been so nice I love that's something I really love I love classics yep I finally got a, I somehow never read Treasure Island and I still technically haven't read it I listened to the reenactment of it but um, man it's so good it's like oh <laughs> every time I read a classic I'm like there's a reason why it's a classic uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like um, San Diego uh, PBS has this thing called One Book where there's like a contest for all these books to see what is the one book of San Diego for this year. And I thought, I mean, it's fun to wa- look at it on PBS Online and see what's, who's in the head and all that stuff. But really, with all the different tastes and all the different wonderful writing out there and all the because it's classics and modern. It's every all books. Um, and all levels of books, children to adults, everything. And I'm like, you can't really say there's one book. I mean, there's, there's too much variety of taste, too much variety of style, need, uh, age, all this. There's, but there's a reason books last forever. Like, um, one of the books that uh, I was, like, kind of disappointed it didn't make it was uh, The Great Gatsby, which is one of my favorites growing up. Uh, It didn't make it. It's the one book. And I was like, it's my favorite. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And it's true. Those things hold up no matter the age. I I remember reading Moby Dick and being like, man, this is still super relevant somehow. 
and, mm-hmm. and even Treasure Island, like it seems so modern. I have a uh, a good friend, Nato Giancola, who's also an illustrator, and he paints primarily, well, he, he flip-flops, but he does really good science fiction. Uh, and he always talks about how it doesn't matter if you do fantasy or you do sci-fi, that it's just a veneer to this piece and that the underlying theme is really just the humanity. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's sci-fi. Are they cooking in the future? Are they doing whatever? And I think it's a lot of the same things with the classics, that it's still, you know, it's love and passions and anger and romance and all these things that are essentially eternal. It doesn't matter if you're a whaler or a CPA, you know, that those underlying themes really hold it all together. If it doesn't touch you, it's not it's not there. It, it, there's something missing because that's yeah. what a book is about or a book, a movie, any art. If it doesn't touch you then that's not for you. It doesn't mean it's not good. It just means it's not for you. Yeah. And you can have a great premise, like this awesome shtick for the future, for this great sci-fi setting, but you still need that human element mm-hmm. in there to, to make that, that shtick interesting. That's right. I mean, see, that's one of the things. I used to love to watch the Oscars, and um, but I just... I, it's, it's not the same anymore because... A lot. I, I like the smaller movies from like the art m- movies or the independent films. The big, huge blockbusters, I- except for a few exceptions, they don't touch me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I really no, like. I. I mean, w- one of the ones that touched me is probably because I like the actor is Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> funny how I just rewatched with my kids the original Star Wars movies and I've got to say if it weren't for Harrison Ford I don't know that those movies would have done as well as, <laughs> as they did he's just he just sells it he's mm-hmm. so charismatic he just sparkles he sparkles and yep. I love there's this one movie it's sort of obscure people don't know it but it's called The Frisco Kid it's with Harrison Ford and Gene Wilder Gene Wilder plays a rabbi and Harrison Ford plays a bank robber, and it's it's like a comedy. It is like a com. It is a comedy, but it's like the sweetest movie. <laughs> They're both so sweet in it, uh, and funny. Check for a while. I love stand-up comedy. It's one of the other things I'll listen to a lot if they work. And uh, Richard Pryor is a favorite. And then Richard Pryor kind of like started doing Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder movies, and then just a whole bunch of Gene Wilder movies. <laughs> Oh, I love Gene Wilder. Uh, and the, one of the best is Young Frankenstein because he wrote it. Um, and you can see that he wrote it. Yeah, <laughs> and he, he said, Mel, you can produce it, but you can't be in it. <laughs> it's, I, right before COVID, that was the last play I got to see. They did a local uh, local production of Young Frankenstein. It was fantastic. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, he brought that to Broadway, so I guess now it's like uh, other people are showing the plays now. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. But th- there's nobody that replaces Gene Wilder. <laughs> oh, wouldn't want to. <laughs> no. But, yeah, the two of them together, if you've never seen it, it's the Frisco Kid. It's really funny and sweet. And it's really, it's, it's just this adorable... It's a comedy western, 
with a rabbi sent to San Francisco to get married. It's just really funny. Pol- I saw it aged ago. It's probably due for a rewatch. So. Oh, yeah, really. And you like both actors, so you should like it. <laughs> and I do well. The only time I do get to watch movies while I work is if it's a movie I've already seen, so it's not stealing my attention constantly, and I can just kind of listen to it. Yeah, that kind of annoys my family is that I'll let movies like gather on the DVR and watch old movies over and over again because when I'm working, I, I, it, it's, it's, it's like this weird thing. I can watch something I've seen before and work like crazy, but if there's something I haven't seen, I get interested in it just totally, <laughs> I, I can't work. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think I just like having that slight distraction in the background, but not a complete distraction. I'm surprised you do it while writing. The words don't bother you? No, I don't do it when I'm writing. I do it when I'm working on Chatting with oh. Sherry or Sherry's Playhouse, or and I'm loading and downloading and and, fix, and, and translating and blah, 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 producing. <laughs> Gotcha. Not not when I'm writing. When I'm writing, it doesn't have to be dead quiet. I can I can have like my cat come in and yell at me, or my brother ask me for something, or a friend call, or something like that. But when I'm writing, really, I just focus on my words. Oh, I'm always intrigued by people's work habits, creative work habits, especially. But, uh, yeah. Like, but I know people that to have something going constantly and others that just work in dead silence. Uh, that, well, you can't be dead silent when you live in a household. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I don't have music going. I don't When I'm actually creating the initial story, not when I'm doing editing. Editing I can have like an old movie on or something. But when I'm creating the initial story, yeah, it has to be quiet. It's not dead silent but isn't, I, I can't have other stuff going no music no, none of that same here if I'm actually painting and rendering I can, I'm can. i good with anything but the idea generation phase that's yeah that's usually dead silence for me yeah that, that's uh, the phase where I hate myself and <laughs> like this is not good enough <laughs> for like three days uh, tear your hair out yeah I know um <laughs> self moving yeah. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to talk about Writers of the Future. Um, you're yeah. you're a judge for illustration for Writers of the Future. I was just thinking about it. It's probably the next time I'm going to get to actually go out. It's probably to L.A. to their award show, which is that's around not too far from you, right? Yeah, in L.A. Yeah, I'm in San Diego. Yeah. Although it used yeah, to be yeah. like an hour and a half drive. Now it's like three. Um, <laughs> just so many cars on the road. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, they had to cancel their last awards show, which is which is a shame because I'm told they do an amazing job of it, and the people who win that are so so well deserving. Um, so they postponed it. They didn't want anybody to miss out. So I think this year's award show will actually be for last year's recipients as well. Uh, yeah, that's what I understand. It's going to be sort of like a dual dual re- award show. Are you a judge as well? Do you judge their writing categories and stuff? No. I'm just the little interviewee. In, interviewer, yeah. not interviewee. <laughs> um, are you enjoying it? Um, and are, have you been able to teach a class? I, I understand they're doing that online. I, it's, so I only came on board with them a few years ago, and it was 
like literally when COVID hit. I, it was just a few months after that, I think. Um, but I I do a lot of conventions, typically or used to, back when conventions were. When well, we did conventions, yeah. <laughs> I, I miss I miss conventions. I miss my tribe. I realize some of my best friends, truly my best friends, are people I only see about four or five times a year at these conventions. Um, but I know, Joni was in the Dragon Con art show, um, you know, promoting some of their award recipients and stuff and, and the awards in general. And then I was at another, oh, actually it was probably still Dragon Con, just in a different hotel, moving around and I found this great booth that had some Frank Frazetta art and started talking and, and they were the people running with the, the Writers of the Future contest. And so we just kind of touched base and, and they asked me to judge for them and, and education is very near and dear to my heart. I uh, I run an, an art education blog called Muddy Colors, uh, which is all kind of just free art education for aspiring artists. And and the Writers of the Future mission statement is so in keeping with that that it was like, yeah, I'd love, like, you're giving away scholarships, giving away money to young artists and writers. That sounds right up my alley. Um, and so hopefully I'll get to go out for the workshop. Like I said, COVID hit, and so then the awards got canceled, the workshop got canceled. Uh, so this year, hopefully, I'll be out there. That's so strange, isn't it? I mean, not that it got canceled, because I understand why it got canceled, but it's so weird how... I had a whole slate of stuff last year that I was supposed to do. I mean, it was a busy year, and every yeah. single thing got canceled. <laughs> It was like it was like. Yeah, is it just going to be so packed? Are people going to do everything this year? Double up on everything? People are going to be running themselves ragged trying to do all the stuff now. Well, everything seems to be moved to December that I was going to do, and I can't do everything on the same date, so I don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) You know. Looking forward to getting out there, though. Yeah, I know. I it, it I December's good. Because that gives, you know, time <laughs> for everybody to heal and, and the world to get a little more normal again. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, it, I, I sometimes wonder if it will return to the way it was, return to normalcy, or if is it I don't know. I don't know. Some areas are already doing it. I have friends in Australia and New Zealand, and they, they have plays, and they, they, they have movie theaters that are set for... You know, outdoor movie theaters and um, drive-ins and all kinds of stuff, and th- they have stuff that's normal. Yeah, I mean, it, it's safe, but normal. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping will happen here, but God knows. <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out one way or another. <laughs> I know. Um, do you know when the award ceremony is going to be? Oh, you're you're asking the wrong person. I think they're trying. I, I'm not totally certain they've set the date. They're trying to make sure everybody can make it uh, and work around conventions and everybody's convention schedule is still up in the air because the conventions haven't haven't quite set a definite yet. Um, so I don't know, but uh, I'm looking forward to. But you can always check it out on their website. I'm sure. I'm also like I am the worst person to ask about time. I swear, like I lose whole months. I don't even know. I never know what day of the week it is or sometimes what month it is, like in real life, let alone like some planned thing. But uh, I think it's just writersofthefuture.com. They should probably have it on there. So, so actually writers and illustrators of the future because 
you did the illustrator part. I did. I think their website, though, is maybe just Writers of the Future, though. But, yeah, uh, I think it is. It is Writers and Illustrators of the Future. I'm not sure. I think there's one, uh, I think it's like a section of illustrators and a section for writers. I think it's like split. Hopefully I'm wrong. Good. I would like that illustrator being there. That's my favorite part of it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I know <laughs> that. <laughs> I know that yeah, there's a whole big thing about illustrators, though. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, it's, it's such a good, it's such a good melding. I mean, it's, it's kind of what we do, but all of, like, my favorite authors that I work with currently, uh, so many of them got their start in the Writers of the Future anthology. Brandon Sanderson, I believe, was in there. That was his first published work. Diana Rowland, who does a series that uh, you could probably see my little avatar. I know the, the listeners can't, but that's for a Diana Rowland book. Um, so they're always attracting this great talent, and and obviously illustrations near and dear to my heart, and already seeing who they've got for winners in that, too. It's like, oh, those are going to be the next big ones, aren't they? That's cool. Um, Dan, so uh, people can get in touch with you. What is your website? Uh, DanDosSantos.com. Well, that's uh, simple. Which <laughs> try to keep up to date, but uh, it's probably my website. I'm, I'm hor- like I, I mentioned, I'm horrible about social media. I really am, so I don't update my Instagram or anything too much. But whenever I have some good news stuff, I usually toss it up on my website or Facebook or IG. So. Okay. And what is your um, your uh, name on Instagram and Facebook? Uh, probably Dan Dos Santos underscore art, I think, for IG. But if you just search Dan Dos Santos, there's not too many of us. <laughs> quick. Um, and then Facebook, it's probably the same thing. I honestly couldn't even tell you. It might be DS Illustration on Facebook. But again, you could just search my name. Okay. Um, pretty easy. Cool. Um, thank you for coming on the show. I really enjoyed it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice. It's like now now that we got chatting, time went by so quick. I wish I had I wish I had more time to give you. I wish I had planned better. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank you.